0: she was a lot younger than him he knew other men looked at her he knew for a fact without having any way of proving it besides hiding in the lobby ferns and spying on her that she talked to strange men at the Peabody come on how can they trap if they don't touch the ground they have to put down something to kneel on like what? I don't know some old sacks or something do they have to boil the sacks? I don't know You think we need to boil our trap? I just think it smells us. Look at the way it keeps watching us. Arthur watched the kitten, watching them for a while. You don't even have a pot big enough to boil it in, he said. That thing's two feet long. How about spraying some Lysol on it? Helen gave him her patient look and sipped her wine. He remembered a time when she'd clamp her lovely, muscular thighs around his back like the jaws of a new bear trap. She'd be gasping with her head thrown back and her mouth opening and closing and her fingers in his hair yanking, going, ''Oh, my God, baby!'' That was a long time ago, true. Way back in Montana. Still. ''Be serious,'' she said. ''I "I am serious,'' I already bought some cat food, didn't I? I already spent fifty-two dollars and fifty cents for the trap, didn't I? They sat studying the kitten. It walked around the wire box, looked back at them, sniffed at the contraption. Finally, it sat again in the dead grass and stared at the anchovies. Maybe its tail was just deformed. Looks like if it was hungry, it would go on in there, Arthur said it has got to be hungry. Look how skinny it is. How are you going to tame it down, even if we catch it? I'll cure it with kindness, I guess. What if it claws you? You ever been attacked by a cat? No, but I know you have. They can be pretty vicious if they get mad. That's true. They can whip a grown dog if they make up their mind to. I've heard that. And if you get scratched, why, then you've got that cat-scratch fever to worry about, like in this Ted Nugent song I heard one time. Well, if I get scratched, I'll put some peroxide on it. Or alcohol, Arthur said, and sipped his coffee. They stayed there for a quiet period of time, just watching the kitten. Arthur looked at Helen, but Helen didn't look at him. He sat there a little longer. Her slip was sticking out just a bit past her knee. Arthur, very smoothly, moved his hand over to her knee. He didn't need any Viagra pill to schedule a hard-on for him. She just had to get him in the right mood. ''Now, now,'' she said, and flipped her skirt down and moved his hand. He returned his gaze to the kitten. ''It was all about blood,'' he thought. ''Pressure up, pressure down.'' He'd read somewhere that some guys had little rubber bivalves that had been surgically implanted and were hidden back behind their nuts, pump it up, let it out like an inner tube. He didn't even want to think about doing something like that to himself. "'I don't think it's going to let us catch it,' he said, damned if he hadn't gotten all upset again thinking about how everything had turned out. "'I think I'll go find a coffee shop and get some fresh ground.' Helen didn't say anything. Maybe it was time for him to give it up. But it was hard to let go. So very hard to let go. Probably even when you got as old as old Mr. Stamp. Chapter Two Later, near nightfall, he was in a coffee shop near Cooper and Young, sipping a cup, sitting on a stool. He was the only patron besides a drunk guy in a trench coat who was keeping quiet and minding his own business with a crossword puzzle. But he could see people passing on the sidewalk. The owner was reading the commercial appeal, shaking his bald noggin. Dickheads, he said, and turned the paper over. Arthur wondered if maybe there was some place in Memphis where a person could rent a tranquilizer gun, load it with one of those darts like they used to knock out animals in Africa they wanted to study or a big cat in a zoo when they wanted to work on its teeth. Maybe just get a small, low-dosage dart, nothing too big, something for a kitten. Hell, he reasoned, you wouldn't need anything big enough to knock down a rogue tusker. He could imagine himself hiding behind a tree in their yard with a tranquilizer gun, waiting for a clean shot at the kitten. But he couldn't figure out how they'd tame it. He wondered if it would work to sedate it and hogtie it and then force-pet it. He looked across the street. His eyes were old, but he could see people inside a barber shop. A barber was moving around somebody's head. It seemed late to be getting a haircut. The drunk guy in the trench coat put the crossword puzzle and a nubby pencil in his pocket and some money on the counter and weaved his way out. But what if only somebody like a veterinarian could get his hands on those dart guns? Maybe they were federally regulated like machine guns. It probably wasn't something you could just buy over the counter. There couldn't be too much demand from the general public for an item like that. He worried over it and was glad to have it to worry over. It kept him from thinking about his repeated recent failures at getting into Helen's exquisite bush. He couldn't remember the last time he'd gotten a boner and wished he'd written it down. The stripper he'd visited hadn't done him any good. The doctor had mentioned vacuum pumps once. "'That sounded just a little bit dangerous. "'Plus, he didn't like anybody messing with his jewels. "'He ordered a cup to go and looked across the street. "'A man in a trench coat stood on the sidewalk. "'It looked like the drunk guy again, but it was hard to tell from here. "'The owner set the coffee in front of Arthur "'and he pulled a dollar from his pocket for a tip and put it on the counter. "'He picked up the cup and his fresh ground, walked out, checked his watch.' "'Had to get on home quick. Shit. The Wild Bunch was fixing to come on at seven. Chapter 3 The barber shop wasn't crowded. One sleepy old man in a white coat, droned on a nappy couch, slumped sideways, his polishing kit beside him, brown stains on the tips of his interlaced fingers. The gray-haired barber moved on rubber soles gently around the man in the barber's chair his keen scissors making almost soundless snips as locks of hair drifted onto the floor in the pinstripe sheet wrapped around his customer. The man in the raised chair seemed at peace. The barber had just finished lathering his face with hot foam, and the rich smell of it hung in an aromatic veil over customer as well as attendant. The tiles on the floor were green and white, a checkerboard of odd colors. The man in the chair had his eyes closed. He had a deep tan, maybe from Miami, and his finely manicured hands, where they held each other in stillness, were small for such a heavy man. An ancient plastic radio in the corner on a shelf was softly playing Elgar's Suspiri. All that could be seen of the man were his lathered face, his hands, the cuffs of his black pants, and his shiny shoes resting on the pedestal. When the door opened, no head turned except the barber's. He stepped back out of the way when he saw what was happening and then crossed his hands over his chest, comb and scissors raised, eyes wide behind his thick glasses. The muzzle of the gun came within six inches of its target. Perhaps the man in the chair had gone to sleep or at least drifted woozily in the barber's fragrant ablutions. The gun fired bright blood sprinkling on the silent barber, a jarring explosion that momentarily silenced the music. It fired again, an enormous sound in that closed space, the air filling with the sweet smell of glucose and the sharp odor of smokeless powder and the soaring of stringed instruments. It fired again, and then the barber stood with hot blood dripping from his glasses, his hands still crossed at his chest. The shiner clutched his belly, but did not open his eyes. The killer, who wore a trench coat and a mask, kind of like the Lone Ranger's, turned and weaved out of the door while taking off the mask, stepped between two parked cars, and was gone. Elapsed time inside the barber shop, nine or maybe nineteen seconds. The barber would tell the police later that it happened so quickly it was hard to say. The guy had been standing under the street lamp, out front, drunk, earlier, though, he added. Looked like he was working a crossword puzzle. Chapter Four Next afternoon, a cab stopped on the brick parking lot in front of the south entrance of the Peabody Hotel, downtown. Frankie Falcone stepped out and looked at his shoes. Claude, the doorman, was smiling at him and holding the cab door open with a white-gloved hand.